0: Judges chapter 6. Take your time and open the word now and keep the word of God open. It's not what the preacher says. It's what God says. Chapter 6 and verse 11 of the book of Judges. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak which was an Ophrah that pertaineth unto Joash the Abiturite and his son Gideon who trashed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Now, the revised version, which I have to say, it's more accurate in this verse than the King James Version, because the original reading of that verse is they trashed wheat in the winepress. Now, the winepress was not the place where you trash the wheat, it was for trampling out the grapes for the wine, but there were no grapes and there was no wine. And you'll see in a moment that all the joy was gone. The joy was gone. It's a very sad thing when the joy goes out of the Christian life. This phrase in verse 11, the angel Of the Lord. Let me just say before we go on a wee thing or two about this. This is what scholars call a Christophany or a Theophany. The angel of the Lord is just simply a physical, visible manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. There are many of them. And apart from the book of Zechariah, Judges has the most of them because there was no king in those days and every man did what was right in their own eyes and the Lord Jesus in a physical manner appeared. Of course, you don't marvel at that, do you? Because he says, before Abraham was, I am. God was amongst them, Jesus says, no man has seen the Father, but he that has seen me has seen the Father. And God in different forms and different manners, like the Lord Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he came in another form and drew near and went with them. And sometimes he comes in other forms. Sometimes he might come in the form of sickness. Sometimes he might come in the form of an accident. He might come in the form of losing your job. But he comes in other forms at different times and different places in our lives. So the angel of the Lord here is a manifestation of the Lord Jesus, the pre-incarnate Son of God, coming down amongst his, his people. Just as he did between the resurrection and the ascension. He appeared and he vanished ten times. He came and he left. And he's doing the same here in the Old Testament. Maybe you didn't know that, but that'll help you too. When you read the the angel, and be very careful that it's not just, just the angel, the angel of the Lord is our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we're at verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valour. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us, and where be all his miracles, which our Father told us of saying? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might. Thou shalt have Israel from the hand, thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee. And he saith unto him, O my Lord. Wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor and Manasseh, and I am the least in all my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. we we'll leave the reading there, and keep your Bibles open, and we know that God will bless to us the public reading. Of his word. An old American preacher of a bygone day said about the church of Jesus Christ, he said it was saved, they were saved, sanctified, and petrified. Now, while that may apply to some of God's people this morning, I hope it doesn't apply to you. Uh, the petrifying bit it certainly applied to Gideon and his father and his people and the tribe of Manasseh because the background to this story is that this tribe and this people were relegated to the hills and the caves and the dens of Ophir they were on the run They were on the run in fear of the Malachites, the Amorites, and the Midianites. For seven long years in succession, this coalition of evil swept down along the eastern seaboard like a plague of locusts. And every year they came at at harvest time after they had labored and toiled and sown and swept their brow, trying to get their crops together. They ravished the crops. They robbed and ruined. They stole the livestock. They plundered the vineyards. They seduced the women. They terrified the children and took children hostage with them. What they left behind every year was... Broken hearts, broken homes, broken economy, and a broken unbroken wills. In verse six of this chapter, you will read that they were greatly impoverished. That, me, that word impoverished" means to be oppressed and dried up and brought empty and brought low. And all this, my friend, you hold that in your mind this morning. This is the state of the children of God at this hour. This is all compounded and reflected by the fact that Orphan means dust. Job, Gideon's father, means despair. And Midian, the prime enemy, means division. Dust, despair, and division. What a pathetic state. God's sovereign people had got themselves into for they got it into themselves by their idolatry and by their sin there's only one way out of this mess just as there's only one way out of the mess that we're all in this morning in the church and it's god it's god a heavenly intervention there'll be no use coming up let's be fair this morning Let's, let, let's, let, let's be practical this morning. There would be no use going up to the mouth of this cave and this den where Gideon and his people were and, uh, uh, with a guitar or with a drum and, and start to sing, He lives, he lives. Nor would there be any use in paraphrasing the 23rd Psalm to them. Nor would it be any use... Sending out, shouting out some of the 365 fear-nots. Nor would it be any use to say, come on out, Gideon, here. Come on out, Joash, and we'll have a gospel mission. Gospel mission seems to be the cure for all ills. He didn't say, come on out Gideon, we'll get Deborah and Barak and they'll sing a duet and they'll tell us how, how the revival came the last time. They didn't say, we'll get some man with a chart and we'll get, the, we'll, we'll get the, uh, seven nights on the second coming. Or the red heifer. Or the tabernacle. My friend, there's the way past all these things. They, this is not going to cure this situation. This situation comes, what happened here, what happened in other times in the cycle of the judges, when they got so desperate, they cried onto God. And that's what we are doing here, three nights a week. We're crying unto God, because we don't see any other way out of the mess that we have got ourselves into in the church. They cried unto God, and in verse 11 he came. Glory to God he came, and there came an angel of the Lord. The Lord came. Can I say this this morning? It's not singers or testimonies or tea or charts or new churches that's going to be of any use. He needs to come amongst us. He didn't come. He came. He didn't come shouting. He didn't come remonstrating. He didn't come dictating. He didn't come commanding. He didn't come preaching. He didn't come singing. He came sitting, watching, observing under an oak tree. Blessed humility. My Savior sitting under an oak tree. It'll not be very long until he's on a tree, sitting. And those eyes of compassion and those eyes of love penetrated right into the heart of Gideon, this defeated, bewildered servant of God. He was there full of compassion, just looking into his eyes. He knew all things. Listen, mother, this morning, and father, this morning, with all your trials and all your troubles, remember this. He knows, he sees, and he cares. There's not a throb nor throw, but his heart doesn't know. But he feels it above. And with eyes of compassion and eyes of pity, he gazed, I think that word is gazed, upon the servant of God and the people of God, you know, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He may seem far away from you this morning, but he's nearer than you would know. As Paul says, he's at the very elbow. He can't get much closer than the elbow. Oh, you may not see him, but fear not this morning. He knows your trials and your troubles, and all about it. Quietly, he makes a statement. A statement which has become a great theological problem. It had to Gideon, it has to us. Here's what he said in verse 12. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Well, my, you know what we read that Gideon didn't think that. But you see, the Lord could see a way into the heart of this man. And you may think this morning that you're no use or you're no good. And that all's lost. And all's done. But let me tell you this. The Lord can see a way in your heart this morning. Something that you can't see. And if God can get it out into the surface, you could turn this country upside down. Don't you despair now. In Gideon's answer here, we have three powerful lessons. One of them only we'll deal with this morning. The first one is honesty. He said, if the Lord be with us, why are we in this state? How can this be if God be with us? There's absolutely no sign of God being with us. He was honest. Secondly, history, because he said, "Where be all the miracles that our father told us about when he brought us out of Egypt?" You see, it's all right talking about what he has done in the past, in Egypt and the Red Sea and the manna and the quail, but that's no good to them now. And the third one is humility, because in verse fifteen, "Oh, how can I and my family were poor?" and were the least of all the tribes, and so the were. Manasseh was the smallest tribe. What he's saying here, we're empty and we're nothing and we're useless. I suggest to you this morning, for those of you who are praying for revival, I suggest to you this morning that within these three headings lies the source, the source of every heaven-sent, God-sent revival, honesty, history, and humility. Vance Havner said, revival is not going down the road beating a big drum, but has gone back to Calvary with a big sob, and I like that. So I'm going to speak to you this morning on what we need for revival. And we need to pray for brokenness more than we pray for blessing. And we need to pray to the, to the reviver rather than revival. We need to keep Christ focused in his rightful place. He can get carried away with revival and miss the reviver. We need to get him in his rightful place. Oh, first of all, I'm only going to deal with this this morning. Because it's heavy on my heart all week for my own heart, oh, for a dose of honesty. We're not good at owning up an Ulster. I might say things this morning now that will warm the ears of some. We're not good at owning up an Ulster. We're good at covering up and shoring up and stirring up. We're good at pretending that all is well, but COVID put an end to that. Great meetings, great crowds, great testimonies. We need in this hour a dose of brutal individual honesty. And if one thing that COVID showed us was this, that all is not well. There's a purging going on in the church this morning. And only God could do it. And he's dividing the church in two. And he's calling out men and women purged and cleansed who will believe him for revival. And others who will tell us As many has told me, we're waiting for the rapture, not revival. I contradict that. Yes, I'm waiting for the rapture. But I can't see the Lord rapture in the church in the state that she's in. He's coming for a bride. He's coming for a bride. Honesty. God has four lights that he continually uses every day and every hour. Remember, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. He is light, he is life, he is liberty, he is power. Remember this, my friend. First of all, there's a flashlight. flashes on and off at times into our very souls. Then there's the searchlight of the Holy Scriptures. Then there's the spotlight where it rests on something that's not right. For light reveals, exposes sin. The light of the Holy Ghost and the floodlight if all fails, he'll turn on the floodlight. But remember that there can come a moment when all lights will be switched out. My spirit shall not always strive with man. You can't tinker with God. So sit up this morning because he's shining the light on things in this assembly and as a result of these prayer meetings that we will need the heed. The Holy Spirit's task is to illuminate, identify, and expose sin in our life. Jesus says when the Spirit of truth will come, He will convict the world. He'll convict of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Francis Schaeffer said this, What He, the Holy Spirit, uncovers, if we confess and repent, the blood will cover. Do you hear that now? If the Holy Spirit puts the spotlight, the searchlight, the flashlight, or the floodlight on some sin in your life this morning, and you confess it, and you repent it, the blood will cover it, for the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So there's not a sin, or there's not a thing, there's nothing you've done, there's nothing you can do that the blood cannot cover if you genuinely repent this morning. And that's a matter for you. The matter for me is to preach what God has given me. I wonder what it would be in your life this morning that he's flashing, that he's searching, that he's revealing and showing to you. You see, the Bible speaks of sins of the spirit and sins of the flesh. And it's very important that you separate those two. Sins of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, witchcraft, murder, drunkenness. Oh, I wouldn't be involved. No, no. And I would safely say there's no Christian maybe listening to me here this morning involved in any of those things. But what about the sins of the Spirit? Do you know what Boo's daughter, the Marichelle, said about the sins of the Spirit? She says they're worse than the sins of the flesh for they're covered over and cloaked over in our hearts. And God's people are some of the best bluffers that ye ever met. What would, what would top the list? Well, the one, the cardinal one of all, of course, is the one that brought the devil down from heaven and it's pride. Old stinking pride. That's what it is. The old uncle used to say it's bad enough in the world, but in God's people. Full of old, stinking pride. One of the first times you read a pride is in Leviticus 26. You needn't turn to the Scripture. And here's what God says. I will break the pride of your power. Can I say this this morning? there's no people have strutted about in pride and abused the power and the promises and the privileges and the precepts of God given to them more than the Protestant evangelicals of Ulster. Oh boy, I'm in trouble. Let me tell you, he is in the process of dismantling that. He is in the process of smashing it. And like Nebuchadnezzar's image, he'll start at the head and he'll grind it to powder. Or he hates it. Pride and arrogance do a hate. Pride of race. Pride of grace. Pride of face. When pride cometh, then cometh shame. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we have it cloaked over. Oh, I tell you, my friend, it's there in all our lives. Obadiah says, The pride of thine heart has deceived thee. It's the most deceptive thing. It'll take the floodlight to flush it out and flush it out it needs in my life and in your life. Seven things that God hates. Proverbs 6. A proud Luke's number one. A lion tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood come after that. She shells right. let this spotlight now rest this morning. Following on from that comes rebellion. The first mention of rebellion in the Scriptures is in Genesis 14 and verse 4. It says this, In the thirteenth year they rebelled. Trace up 13. Get Bollinger's book on the numericals of the Bible. Trace up 13, and you'll find that 13 was the year of rebellion. And I want to say a wee word to you, teenagers, this morning. And those of you who are coming into your teens this morning, those of you that have a rebellious spirit against your mother or your father or authorities, let me say it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Because you know what you're doing as far as your mother and father and all honest and genuine loving mothers and fathers know what you're doing. You're rebelling against love. Anything they do, anything that they say, anything that they warn you about is because they love you. You hear that now? They love you. And they know what's in front. And they've been down the road before you. And they know a few things you don't know. And it's all for your good. And it's all because they love you. What is worse than rebelling against the love of your parents is rebelling against the love of God. God loves you this morning, teenager. He so loves you that he gave his only son to that old cross at Calvary for you. We're told in the Proverbs, if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured by the soul. The mouth of the Lord has spoken it. I didn't say it. Turn, turn this morning and seek the Savior before you go on too far. Rebelling against love. Then Job talks about rebelling against light. And this spotlight and this flashlight and this searchlight this morning is going to prove whether you're going to rebel against light or not. Psalmist tells us they rebelled against the Holy Spirit and they vexed him and he turned and fought with them. I can never comprehend the Holy Spirit, the dove, the gentle dove. Don't sin against light and how privileged you are and we all are in this land to have these lights searching into our heart and into our soul. Thirdly, don't don't sin and rebel against leadership. We have a constitution. There's a number of them on the table. Specifically and categorically states what we believe here in this assembly. They've been drawn up by some present men and some past men from the word of God. That's not inspired, but of what we believe. Could I ask you this morning that are coming to us here and enjoying the fellowship here, take one of them and read it and obey it. First Samuel 15 says, Rebellion, Is the sin of witchcraft like the sin of witchcraft? Imagine that. Oh, rebellion. We could go on with that, but we mustn't. For here's one I need to hit this morning the light shining on pride, the torch, the searchlight, the spotlight. On pride, on rebellion, on bigotry. What about the way we treated and have treated our Catholic neighbors? More now. Oh, 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 I hate the system, but I love them, not a bit. Of you. If you loved them, you wouldn't be talking about burning them out. I heard Christians talking about burning them out and not giving them a job. Well, that was done, you know. And I think there's a lot of confession to be done as far as the Protestant people are concerned before we see revival. And I'm talking from experience more than any of you know. There's a lot of confessing to be done. And the spotlight's landing on your heart this morning. Do you know that my wife, 25 years in the Catholic Church, can never remember apart from she was sick, but there wasn't a day, seven days a week, in the chapel with her mother. She was 25 years of age. Do you know that she, she never heard. And there the towns she was brought up and around there is half and half Protestant. She never heard a criticism against a Catholic because she heard it from a Christian. And I'll not tell you what she had heard. And what you had to put up with. A personal note. If it were left to the Protestants and to the Unionist people, this church wouldn't be here this morning. Now, hear me. In 1988, when Alan Berkeley and Pat and I put that wee hall up at the corner, a Christian man come to him and he says, Bertie, and I'm talking about a unionist councillor and others, Bertie, he says, they've got a petition to get the hall moved. But I want to let you know, he says, I haven't signed it. In case you think I have. And I told them when they come to me to sign it, I told them, you be very careful what you do because that tall could be there when you are gone and they're gone, most of them. And they got a petition up. Do you know in the midst of that petition, when they were getting the signatures all around here to back it to bring to the council meeting, my door knocked a wee man on a bike. He says, I'm a Catholic. He says, I live over, and he told me where he lived. He says, I come down past this hall on Sunday nights, he says, and I see so many cars and so many people going into it. He says, and I'm glad, and there's 20 pounds for the work. And they brought it into the council meeting, and they stood up in the council meeting, and they brought forth, the, and a Sinn Féin man stood up. He says, you ought to be ashamed of yourselves trying to stop a Christian work. But would you talk to me. The flashlight flashes. The spotlight spots. The floodlight floods. Searchlight searches. How are you getting along this morning with these things? What about business transactions this morning? I'm preaching like this because the Lord showed me to preach like this because we're pray in our hearts out here from 8 o'clock till 11 some nights for revival. And listen friends, don't mix up praying with obeying. And pray all we like if we don't obey. And in 1904 revival in Wales, that was the theme Evan Roberts, every meeting he went to, every time there was a move of God, every time he got up, obey, obey. The Holy Spirit. Be the Holy What about your business life this morning? What about that half-truth you told to get a deal? Or well, that man you told the lighter to get a few pounds? What about the farm accounts that you tinkered with? Hmm? Or the tags that you fiddled? Or the cash that you took to avoid the vat? You think there's nothing wrong with that? That's scheming. That's deception. Come on now. There's a flashlight on it. And I'm not more than that, the spotlight sitting on me this morning. And you need to quit praying until you get it right. I was in a prayer meeting one day and there was a boy praying. Oh, it's not here. Nothing to do with this place. away from here. He was in the prayer. He says, Lord, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me for... For, for doing what he'd done. He actually he had abstracted electricity. He had passed the meter and put it into another house of his and didn't pay on it. He says, Lord, forgive me. Do you know why he was praying in front of the people? Because he was caught. when he knew it was coming out. If anything we need is a dose of honesty... 1982 to 1987, I got the portable hall called the lifeboat and I went around doing missions and meetings. I was told by men who were doing the same, and other pastors and some preachers. It told me that when you got a gift, when you got money, when they give you something and there's something in that box and I lived by faith and we lived off the gospel and whatever was on the box, whatever you got, it was not taxable. They had already paid tax on it and you don't have to pay tax on it. I wouldn't like to tell you the people that told me that. But it suited me all right. But there was something down in my heart told me that it wasn't right. And I never done anything about it for six or seven years until one day the phone rang. The revenue. What have you been doing for the last six years? See, you left your employment. He says, I'm living by faith. Oh. He says, we need to talk with you. And for my past job, I learned to keep records. And I had a book, every pound, every shilling, every gift given to the children's shoes or whatever was given by God's people. Because that's how we lived. I wrote it down. Brought it along to the accountant. He said, you're going to have money to pay. Went away up to the Craigavon Revenue and I got this young boy, he was out of Queen's. I don't know whether he was an atheist or what he was, but I'll tell you he wasn't too pleased, too helpful. And boys, he went through that wee book. Who's this man here? Who's this woman that gave you those groceries? That's how quick he went into it. I'm quite glad I had that record. He says, you know this is all taxable. Well, I says, I didn't. Well, it doesn't matter. He says, it's all taxable. And I had to pay. And I was glad I did. And when I got down to pray, I says, Lord, there's nothing between us now. You see, money is one of the greatest curses. We'll lie, we'll steal, we'll twist, we'll turn, we'll go to the highest court in the land to get in half an acre of ground. But is the Lord pleased with that? Be honest with ourselves. Secondly, very quickly, be honest with the scriptures. You see, sadly, there's many of God's people, and sometimes unknowingly, and I must admit that, sometimes because it suits their lifestyle and it suits their doctrine, they twist and they tweak at verses and portions of Scripture. I've done it myself. That's why we have so many versions. Charles H. Spurgeon said, there's moss growing over the best part of some of the texts. Take James where James says we quote it so often resist the devil and he shall flee but we need to quote it all. Submit yourself unto the Lord and resist the devil and he shall flee. Oh Lord, they overcame him by the word of their testimony and the blood of the Lamb. Great stuff and revelation. But that's not at all. They love not their lives even unto death. Moss growing over that part of it. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ. Great. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. My sins are all forgiven. According to those who walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Do you think you can walk any way you like and do whatever you like and get up and say you're not under condemnation? And here's the one with the most on it. Isaiah 55 and verse 11. Lord, bless the word today. You said it will not return unto you void. That's part truth. It's not what the text says. Here's what the text says. Show shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, empty, ineffective. But it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in that whereto I have sent it. I have sent it. The word has to come from his mouth. If it's not from his mouth, it's from the morgue. Brother prayed in the prayer meeting the other night. How true. The letter killeth, and the spirit giveth life. It's from his mouth, not from YouTube, not from WhatsApp. Not from Facebook, not from Instagram and a whole crowd of them other things I like, know nothing about. It doesn't come out of the microwave, it doesn't come over the airwaves. It comes when a soul longing for a word from God lies before him in prayer and sometimes fasting and waiting and crying, Lord, give me a word from your mouth for the people. The word is a fire, and a fire burned into the soul. The word is a sword, and the sword pierces into the heart. The word is a hammer, and it smashes the pride heart, and the flesh, and the carnality, and the rebellion, and the bigotry, and the hypocrisy, and everything else goes with it. Be honest to yourself. Be honest to the Scriptures. Be honest to the Holy Spirit. For the first ten years of my Christian ministry, I heard little or nothing or taught or preached nothing on the filling of the Holy Spirit. I heard much about the abuse of the gifts of the Spirit in the charismatic time, and I despaired. But you know, as I went on in my Christian life, and young people are confused, so confused about this. But as I went on in my Christian life, I opened my heart in full surrender to God, and I put all on the altar. This was 10 years after I'd left my work, let me tell. I said, Lord, there has to be more than this. I've no real hunger for prayer, and I have no desire really for souls. And then I had that mighty encounter with God out in Market Hill Forest Park. And I ever put a name on what happened. was the whole thing named out in Ireland. With it all named out. With all names, but with nothing to back it up. But I know out there that day, God. I know, filled me with the Holy Spirit. And I know that I leak and I know I need to get filled in there this morning before I came up here and I had to ask the Lord to fill me. But it changed my life. I had a zeal. I had a longing. I had a desire. I had a hunger that I hadn't before. I had a love for the lost that I hadn't before. And that's why I got the portable hall. Went down to Fermanagh, back to her home county to try to win the people. Ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Friend, you need to realize this morning that you need the power that cometh from above. You need to realize that it doesn't all come when we get saved. You need to realize, yes, your sins are forgiven and you're on your way to heaven and praise God for that. Ah, but there's power, there's power to live a holy life. There's a power to live a, a life above sin. Not without sin, but above sin. And you get the victory every day. And I tell you, put the joy into your heart, tracking right, away back to the old things in the past that has happened years ago that are under the blood that God has remembered nothing about. You need the victory this morning. You need the Holy Ghost this morning. And after this meeting, if you want to come down around the side when the people are at the table, you just come around. Be honest with ourselves. Be honest with the scriptures. Be honest with the spirit. Be honest with the Savior. Be honest with Him as we close this morning. Because above all, we must be honest with the Lord that bought us and brought us. We need to come where Jesus came here, under the tree. Under the tree. Aye, you came under the tree when you got saved, didn't you? You came to the cross because you couldn't have been saved if you didn't. You came through the atoning blood of Christ to the cross. Aye, but you need to get on the cross. That's a different story. You can be saved and live nearly as you like, and that old doctrine was hammered into me, and I believe. I believe with all my heart in eternal security. But it is not an excuse to live as you like. If there was one thing those old Methodists in Fermanagh taught me, and there was a dozen of them and used to have prayer meetings every Saturday night, and they were on their knees crying unto God, and every one of them believed and been saved and lost. Every one of them. But I'll tell you if there was one thing that those men, men believed, they believed if they were going to be saved and lost, that they'd need to live right tell you, they prayed. I tell you, if you thought you were going to go to hell tomorrow, you'd pray. So just let them alone. Be honest with the Savior. Romans 12 and verse 1. I beseech you. Put your name in there as I close this book. I beseech you. By the mercies of God. Stop there. The mercies of God. Boys, I often stop there in that text and take a half an hour. The mercies of God to me. I beseech ye, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your body a living sacrifice. A dead, a de- dead sacrifice is no good. A living sacrifice. Holy holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind unto that which is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. You want the will of God? Romans 12 and verse 1 and 2. Be honest to the Savior. Come to the... Do you know in this portion, and I can't deal with it this morning, there's a tree, there's a rock, and there's a sacrifice. And that brings me to Calvary. And I'll tell you this, there was a peace. Because when the sacrifice was offered, what was it that rang out? If you read on down, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Do you have peace this morning? Peace with God. Peace, perfect peace in this world of sin. The blood of Jesus giveth peace within. You're not saved. You're not saved this morning. You can have sins forgiven in peace with God, and the enemy and enmity and the wall can be broken down this morning. And the peace of God that passeth all understanding. I hope that you go out of this house this morning with the peace of God in your life and in your soul. And friend, we'll only get it if we obey what He has said this morning and many other things that the light has flashed upon us be honest before him let us pray Lord take away what has been of flesh and self dig deep Lord dig deep search Lord till every fiery glance is passed. the motives that control the hidden things those hidden things that are way down deep in our soul Lord that nobody else sees and nobody else knows and those things that need to be put right before we come to the table these things that need to be right before we open them out to cry for revival. whatever they are Lord in my life Lord God it's time for honesty it's time for the people of God to own up Nanny, wonder the world out there doesn't want us Father oh God Break this old hard crust and this old pride, heart, pride hearts. And break us like Gideon down to the nothing. We might lie at thy feet, Lord. God forgive us this morning. Oh God. Forgive us for pretending. Give us for our hypocrisy, Lord. Lord, we need thee. We want to be honest to thee this morning. After all you've done for us. Stripped and battered and bludgeoned. The God of all creation coming down to sinful men, to convicting sinners like us. Lord, it's all of grace, it's all of mercy. And yet, Lord, we are so cold and so hard this morning. Search, Lord, the motives of that control. Search us out this morning. Let us not care what men think or say or do to us. We have to be transparent, Lord, before thee. Don't, Lord, don't abandon us. Take not thy Holy Spirit. Lord, we believe that whenever David cried that out, he was thinking of Saul. Take not thy Holy Spirit from Don't let us end up like Saul or indeed like Gideon. For he fell at the last. Lord, Lord, help us. Help us this morning. Lord, I've delivered the word that you give me. I can do nothing more. Search me, O God, my actions try, and let my life peer unto thine old searching eye. To me, thy way make clear. Father, there will be those this morning who will be honest. And, Lord, there will be those who will not be. But, our Father, we pray, we remember the words of Thy servant Schaefer again. What you uncover. The blood will cover. Amen.